we're going to read a passage in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 12. And um, I'm kind of wrapping up a series and a theme that we've been, been on, talking about what you do when you're in a season that seems dark. And we're going to hear the instruction that the writer of Hebrews gave to a group of people who were in a dark season. Hebrews was written to uh, uh, Jewish Christians. These are people that converted from Judaism um, to Christianity. And it was coming at a time when there was some oppression, when there was some scattering of the church. And they were beginning to question the things that they had been taught and that they had received and the message that salvation was by faith. And not just by following the law, they were beginning to question these things as oppression came and wonder if they should turn back to the old ways of Judaism. And whenever pressure comes on us, we have the option to either turn back, to turn away, or to turn to God where we will find the way forward and the answer. And then this group of people had just been read a list of the amazing um, warriors of faith in Hebrews 11, the preceding chapter, this group of people that when they were under pressure, they found their way forward. They turned to God. And we hear of Abraham who saw something, not knowing necessarily uh, the, the, the whole of the roadmap to get to what he saw. He still nevertheless obediently, he turned his heart toward God and he chose to follow God and to follow after God step by step, not really knowing the way but he was somebody that was a man of faith and he ended up being the father of faith because he chose to turn to God rather than turn away or turn back when pressure came. And there's a whole list of the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11 that is being told to this group of people. And then in Hebrews 12, the writer then gives them, I believe, instruction and keys in how they can get out of their place of oppression into a place where they can step into their destiny and their future. And he talks about what in the title of my Bible is titled as the discipline of the Lord. Who likes the word discipline? Anybody here just loves discipline? There's a few people. You guys are awesome. You should just come up here and preach this message instead of me. Um, because the word discipline for most of us just invokes just really terrible and dire images as we look back on our lives. I come from a country and a generation where in the school system there was, um, what did they call it? I was about to call it corporal punishment, but it wasn't that. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't kill us when we were, uh, um, when, uh, when people were out of line. But, you know, we, there, was, there was the cane People would grab me by the ear, twist my ear. Maybe that's why my ears are oversized. And uh, like lift me out of my chair. Um, and this was, when I hear the word discipline, this is what I, this is the lens that I, that I hear it through. But we're going to read through this passage of Scripture here and I'm going to lay out um, three different principles in response to it because the discipline of the Lord is not really what I think the discipline of the Lord is. And there is something that we have to grasp about our amazing Heavenly Father and how He leads us that is a key to us 
moving forward and coming out of darkness into wonderful light. So without further ado, we're going to read this passage. It's uh, eight verses long. It's reasonably long. And uh, we're going to then break down um, this passage and draw out some powerful principles for you and I today. Uh, So let's jump in here. Hebrews 12 and verse 5. And the writer says this, he says, Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? I think it's kind of funny how he says that with such a like, bold and accusational way. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? But everything we're about to read from this point on, the purpose of it is to impart courage to you and I. So have that in mind as we're reading through this. This is designed to impart courage. This word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, and now he quotes Proverbs. He says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. The other word there for chasten is reprove. He then goes on to say this, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You're an illegitimate son or daughter, and you are not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it most of the time. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness." No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather be healed. So here we have this amazing passage here, which Um, The writer goes into all this detail about how God comes to us and brings discipline to us. And it's really vital as we read this that we look at this through the lens of understanding that our Father is a loving, kind Father who wants to lead us into a place of freedom. And when we're reading through this, it, 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 it's so easy to get off on my like schoolboy experience when I hear certain words and I begin to look at it through that lens. But we're going to break down some of these principles here and these passages and these words Um, so that we can actually see what it is that Paul, not Paul, sorry, no one really is totally sure who wrote Hebrews, who the writer of Hebrews um, was was at what he was actually trying to convey as he wrote with such passion to this group of people as his heart was so full to see them come through into what they were 
moving uh, and see them come through into the light and the destiny that God has for them. Uh, for them. So let's jump in right now, and we're going to uh, break open the first passage of Scripture here. Number one, <clears throat> godly discipline is brought to change our actions and not our feelings. Let me say that again. The discipline of the Lord, godly discipline, is designed to bring a change to your actions, not to bring a change to your feelings. Not to change how you feel about yourself. Not so you would feel less about yourself. Not so you would feel bad. Not so you would feel guilty. But godly discipline is designed to bring a change in action. And for me, talking about my upbringing in the school system, and even sort of the parental discipline I, say, I experienced, I would say for me that I received discipline mostly as something which made me change how I feel about myself as opposed to changing my actions. Can anybody sympathize me with that? Godly discipline is never designed in that way. I'm going to give you an illustration here, and then we're going to look at the, the Greek word here. <clears throat> My birthday comes up on uh, this Friday. I'm not saying that as a hint in any way, um, but it's part of the illustration that I have to give because I, uh, I was born on April the 14th, as was my mother. Yep, she always says I was the best, best birthday present she ever had. Um, as also was Letty Bebart, born on the same day, exactly the same day, actually. Um, unfortunately, my mother, uh, myself, and Letty, there was also the anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic which is the largest maritime disaster um, outside of war in history. The Titanic, as you all know, and this story has been told many times, was believed to be an unsinkable ship. It was the most spectacular, the most advanced, by far the largest um, ship uh, that had ever been manufactured, and it was believed to be unsinkable. There was a huge amount of pomp and ceremony and pride that was associated with the launching of this vessel as it was on its maiden voyage. And they um, staffed this uh, ship with the best captain, a captain, his actually name is Captain Phillips, um, who had 40 years of experience of a captain over the seas. They filled this boat with 2,200 passengers. Um, the, the most expensive suite, the main suite that was available, if you wanted to make the seven-day voyage <clears throat> over to the U.S. from the U.K., in today's money would have cost the equivalent of $107,000 for a seven-day trip. And so we all know the story as this as this ship was traveling, it came into uh, waters where ice had been spotted. They now know, because of the position of the moon and all kinds of other things, that there, there was an uncommon amount of ice and a, a greater proliferation of icebergs than there had been in 50 years at the time the Titanic came through. And the captain, Captain Philip of the Titanic, began to get a series of messages warning him of impending danger and that he 
needed to change his course. Multiple messages came to him over a span of time to warn him that if he didn't take evasive action, he would be in very grave peril. Not just him, but thousands of other people. And as we now know, he heard some of these messages and the result of this correction that came to him from people who had knowledge which could, which could save him, it came upon ears which received this message as a lack of confidence in his ability, and he refused to listen. The message of correction designed to save him and the whole ship when met with his insecurity and his pride was pushed away and at one point with the final message he was heard to say, shut up! I'm continuing on this particular course. And if we're in a position where, we, where the message of correction lands upon us and it causes us, it, it affects our feelings about ourselves. we may very well fail to make a correction which is actually designed in love to save us and protect us and all those around us. And obviously we know what happened with the Titanic. The message of correction, the process of discipline for you and I comes from a loving Father, not designed to change how we feel about ourselves, but designed to change our direction. So if, like Captain Phillips, we'd have made a small adjustment, that then we can be saved and all those around us can continue on the journey and get to our destination. But if, when the message of discipline comes, it, we receive it, not understanding the heart of the Father as a lack of confidence or as putting us down, and we can't accept the message, the result of that love-filled, tender correction will not have the result which it wants to have. But there's a better way. <laughs> it doesn't end badly. Let's all take a, uh, a breath and say our lives are not going to follow the course of the Titanic. <laughs> that was a heavy illustration, wasn't it? <laughs> discipline. <coughs> the word discipline is paideia. And we get from that a Greek word numerous other words, commonly a pediatrician. What does a pediatrician do? Anybody? He, someone said heels, but the other, somebody else said children. It, so the word paideia here, which is translated discipline, kind of poorly, I feel, is a word that is used for how a parent would train and give instruction and correct a child out of love, out of tenderness. So the example I gave there as a Titanic is a perfect example of that. You've got someone that wants to save calamity and ensure the ship gets to port. And so they bring correction, paideia, something which can save us and keep us on the course we want to go on. 
And when God brings discipline to us, the purpose of that is that we would receive it and make an adjustment in our actions, not an adjustment in how we feel about ourselves. We're going to get more onto this in a minute, but hold on to that. Number one, Godly discipline is brought to change our actions and not our feelings. And I just want to suggest this to you, and I'm going to pray for people at the end here. If when you read in Scripture, when you hear instruction from Scripture, it results in you maybe feeling bad about yourself or you feeling a sense of failure, I want to suggest to you that there is something of the heart of your Father that He wants to crack open in you and unfold to you because that is never his intention. Godly discipline and godly correction is the correction of the perfect father, the love of the father designed to change actions, not to change feelings. All right, we'll move on. Point number two, life is the discipline. Verse seven says here, endure hardship as discipline. So we're going to break some faulty constructs as well. Discipline, when I was a kid, was often um, something that was punitive to mete out punishment on somebody. Like there, feel the pain because of what you did. But for us, God chooses to train and equip us through the process of life. So when our Father disciplines us, it's not to make us feel bad about ourselves or to, or to, or because He's angry and frustrated, so He wants to make us feel like He feels. No, it is so that we can change to the, from, to what life is the effect that life is having on us so we can change our course. So let me give you an example of this. The writer says here, endure hardship as discipline. When you and I go through the discipline of the Lord, it is life that teaches us the lesson. Here we have it, life lessons. I remember, here's an example for you. When I was finishing college, I didn't really like college which is kind of a problem if you're at college. And I felt like I could skate my way through. I tested pretty, I could test, I, I could take exams pretty well. Um, but they, those who were involved in the educational system at the time when I was kind of coming through high school and going into college, um, they had figured out this new system Goodness knows why they did this, where they began to have components of what we called coursework. You actually had to like, do lots of homework, and you couldn't just be graded on exams at the end of the year. So for people like me, this was, just, uh, this was a real problem. And so I had procrastinated. I had put off doing certain assignments and projects that needed to be done to complete the course. And yet good instruction and correction had come to me from my parents, correction had come to me from the dean of students and from my course instructors, instructors teaching me what I needed to do to, for my studies to end well, but I did not listen to them. 
when that correction came, I did not listen to them. They wanted to change the course of my life. I received it as I was not competent or I was unable. I wasn't as good as I thought that I was. And so it ended up that at the end of that uh, year, I basically had about six months worth of assignments and projects to do in about three days and three nights, though. So it wasn't just three days. I had three nights as well. So there began my love affair with coffee. And I, with the pressure on, I worked for three days and two nights in between solidly without sleep. And it was one of the most painful times of my life. I can say this. I did like, what, would, what is that? Like 70 hours of solid work. I swear I had carpal tunnel after, after that with all the typing and writing. And the end result of this, I did all this work, but I couldn't quite get it all in by the deadline. And so despite all that pain and all my efforts, all the frustration, all that work, when not done correctly as it should have been at the right time, the end result is I just missed the mark of getting it in and graduating. Now, that life discipline, that hardship, if you like, is there to be a teacher to me. Endure hardship as discipline. Life, God has so created that life will help teach us how we need to live. And so for me, as an 18-year-old who needed his thinking adjusted, that is an example of the discipline of the Lord. When I wouldn't listen to those who really did care about me and care about my future, but I did it my own way, the result was that hardship caused pain in my life. And there are consequences in life. And it created more work for me to have to try and make up for what I didn't do. So what is the point here? The point is this. God is not interested in punishing you. He's not interested in making you feel bad. But as we go through life, our response to life Life itself, the hardship of life, will give us the opportunity to respond and receive correction and discipline from the Lord so that we can adjust our course and we can go in the right way. Amen? That's what he wants to do for you and I. So how does he do it? We're going to look here um, at point three. How does he do it? Submit and live, I have here. Submit and live. Verse 9 of Hebrews 12 says this, How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Contrasting earthly discipline from earthly fathers with godly discipline from our heavenly Father. Now, the word there, submit, is just a really powerful word. It's hupatasso. And it is a Greek word, which is a military word, which describes 
the type of bringing into order and bringing into a formation that infantry would do in an army under the oversight of a wise commander. So anyone who's a, who's a student of warfare knows that there came a time when mankind realized just charging forward in warfare, waving clubs and uh, swords without, without formation, without strategy, was not an effective way to fight. But when an army aligned itself, and the word literally means to come under, come under one who had the charge and the wisdom and the ability to know how to bring order to the infantry division and how to actually win, then warfare became successful and organized. And so it's the same word here for how much more should we submit to the father of spirits. That same word is for me to recognize that there's one above me that has a mission for my life, which I can submit to. And his, his ability and capacity to know how to lead me in life is so much better than my singular mind and me trying to figure it out myself. And when I can choose to submit to another one's mission, to submit to God and say, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to live under your mission because you know how to do this and I for sure do not. When we can submit to him, then suddenly we're positioned in a place where life comes to us. How much more we should submit to the Father of spirits and live. What God has for you and I is that we would be in a place in an abundance of life. And I want to suggest to you today that God has an abundance of life to pour into you and I. He is, he is so eager to see us experience His love, His heart, and the way which maybe we've seen forward for our lives, the way that we've looked at it, the lens that we've seen for the future, we cannot compare with how amazing our future is. God has amazing things for you and I. And when we can come into a place of understanding that that is his heart for us, then it's so much easier to submit to one who we know whose heart is full of love and desire and passion for us. And he's a father which wants to draw us in to his purposes. I'm going to end by reading this passage here from the Passion Translation, which I've read from time to time. And I feel like it really helps change the paradigm that we view this process of God's reproof, God's correction, the hardships of life, the discipline of life, because it shows us that God as a loving Father wants to help change our direction so that we can live the way He that he wants us to, and we can find life by doing it. And it's not about feeling bad or feeling different about ourselves. So let's just go ahead and read this. It's going to come up on the screen here. 
This is a Passion Translation, and this is Hebrews 12, 5, and 6 in the Passion Translation. The Bible says this, My child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God, or get depressed when He has to correct you. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of His faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. Let's just close our eyes for a second. And I want to pray. And I want to release a change of image that we may have of God, of his heart towards us, of this process of discipline. And I feel like as, as, as Talia had spoken earlier that God is going to bring breakthrough to people today. And that some of us feel like we've been in a, in, under the heat, but the purpose of that is that breakthrough would come. And I believe the first place breakthrough is going to come is when we break down faulty thinking and we begin to see God for more truly and completely who he is. So I'm just going to pray here, and I'm just going to ask you to yield your hearts and search your hearts and see if God wants to change the way that you see Him. Thank you. Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come right now and ask you, Lord, that you would search our hearts, that we would be able to see you more truly for who you are, Lord, that we would where there has been a false concept of who you are, where maybe we've seen you as a God who is frustrated or angry with us. And when we hear your words, whether it's we're reading scripture or we're, we're just hearing it through others, it causes us to feel bad about ourselves. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would highlight that false understanding of that lie and that you would break that off. Holy Spirit, bring an understanding of the wonderful, loving heart of our Father who wants to lead us into life, who wants to help us find the way and navigate our path that we would find life and success and joy, Lord. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would cement these truths in our hearts today that you would flush out any false understanding that there is there. Lord, give us faith towards our circumstances that if we're experiencing hardships at this time, that you would help us see how what you feel about the situation, that we would be able to yield and submit to you and we would move into a place of life and wholeness that we would make the correction that we would in humility submit under you as this wonderful loving father the one who has everything perfectly arranged for our lives that we would yield to you and we would do it your way father that we would move forward into your goodness Lord at this time I ask Holy Spirit that you would help us that you would help us put on that yieldedness and that submission 
that you would strengthen us, Father, as we make that choice to yield to your wonderful, loving ways. Just ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would shine your light in each one of us, that we would know how we would need to respond to your word at this time. Father, I ask that you would bring an increased measure of hope, that you would uncover hope for some here that may struggle in seeing hope as they look forward, that you would would show the hope that is there but is uh, as yet unseen. And in part, faith, Lord, for us to be able to enter in and to seize hold of that which you have for us, Father, in Jesus' mighty name.